Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. Welcome back. This is the second hour of tonight's live Truth Jihad radio broadcast. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting from the studio, that is the the rooftop, here in beautiful Saidia, Morocco, reaching out all over the world, looking for folks who have something worthwhile to say. And even sometimes people who I don't agree with that I bring on the show just for fun. But sometimes I find people with wisdom so comic that it's not a matter of whether I agree or disagree with it. I just have to enjoy it or uh, open up to it or embrace it. And Swami Bhiyanananda is one of those people who's been bringing on that kind of wisdom to the show over the years. The Swami has been enlightening the world and trying to incite an upwising ever since I think the early 1980s or something like that. He has been um, open to discussing issues like 9-11, COVID, uh, electile dysfunction, and who knows what else. And now I notice that the Swami is promoting the 12 Habits of Unity. Uh, There's a 1-1-1-ness day coming up. That's at 12, the number 12 habits, and then the digit 4, and all of us, that's 12habitsforallofus.org. So the Swami is promoting unity, and, and it's, that's the basis of Islam, of course, Tawheed. So, hey, Swami Bhyanananda, welcome. Uh, and are you now a Muslim? No, 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 no. I'm actually very spiritually independent. I believe we're all one with the same one, and yet each of us is totally unique, just like everybody else. And that is a belief that can encompass any religion, any non-religion any secular ethical system. And I thank you for acknowledging the work that I've done. You know, back in the old, old, old days, I was way ahead of the curve uh, in in the late 70s. Believe it or not, I wanted to create the first gay straight concert performance. And we almost got there. Marvin Gaye was on board, but we couldn't get the George Strait people to to work with us. But, you know, it it was a good try. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, that, that sounds like a, a real uh, a soul uplifting experience with, with Marvin Gaye. Uh, that's definitely my, my kind of gay event. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. But, you know, I think that you're absolutely right. You know, we are at a time when when the world is in a uh, the new word is a a situation. We have a situation. And that's in fact, sure. it's gotten, gotten so dire that people are looking upward to the sky and they're asking, is this the hand of God at work or just the middle finger. Hmm? And so that is an important concern that people have. And so um, one of the solutions that I've come up with, and many people have, but we're articulating it, is that we need to get off the old battlefield and onto a new playing field. The old battlefield is I win, you lose, or you win, I lose. It's a zero-sum game. And uh, that is the pathway toward mutually assured destruction. We are on the pathway toward mutually assured survival. You know, not survival of the fittest, survival of the fittest. And so on one 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 this day, which is January 11th as a natural day, you know, it's in counteraction to the uh, the whole fear-based uh, commemoration of uh, the state of emergency on 9-11. Mm-hmm. 
whereas 111 is a state of emergency. Emergency. Have you gotten permission from the Illuminati to to use numerology for this event? I thought they copied (laughs) it. Well, no, no, this is humorology. We're using the, the, the skill of humorology, which is open source. Anybody <laughs> is open to laugh and create comedy in my world. Um, yeah, we need to take back the numbers, the letters, all of, the, the, um, all of the, the systems that have been hijacked. We need to hire jacket, you know. We need to go higher. Levity is what helps us go higher. Gravity is a downer. Hmm? Levity lifts so, us up. So, okay, so, so so the bad guys pick nine eleven to do their thing because that's the number that you have to dial if you have an emergency and you're terrified and terrorized and you want the government to come and save you. That's that's the number that you dial on your phone. And so on this one one thing, is this like if you're feeling kind of skitsy uh, and you, you got too many things going on or too many personalities, you just dial one 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 and the number will somehow bring you back to cosmic unity? Well, I've never tried dialing that. I've never tried dialing that. But on the internal, on our internal relationship with the great one spirit, we can dial into that at all times. And we are living, unfortunately, as we all know, in a culture of separation. And the culture of separation is using that um, tried and untrue method uh, that's been used over the millennia called divide and conquer. So that is why we need to get off the battlefield, the the political battlefield, where nobody really wins except those who control the battlefield, who have made the rules. And we need to get onto a new playing field of love and cooperation. This one one oneness event, one of the things that we're going to do is, you know, all of this talk about conspiracies, you know all about that. We want to create an open conspiracy because conspire means what? To breathe together. So what if the people, the awakening people of the world decided to all breathe together at the same time to inhale love, to exhale love, and bring that love to their little corner of the world because we can actually eventually heal the world at large by beginning with the world that's small. So we are going to all breathe together. We're having a breathing ceremony, and I am hoping that people will keep that as a Regular thing, every hour on the hour, as we remember, breathing in love, breathing out fear. And we all know, of course, breathing is the key to long life, because when we breathe in, we inspire, and when we don't, <laughs> we expire. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it, how, how about the, the issue of, uh, of justice? Because this is one where some of my listeners uh say that you know when we say we just want unity we want to get off of this battlefield onto a playing field and not not a soccer playing field although that would be a lot better than a, than a military battlefield uh even though there would be a winner and a loser but still it's just you know soccer or whatever um but there are those who say that oneness this notion of oneness which you know we sufis are real big on of course uh but if you 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 just kind of uh see all conflict as just plain old conflict with, you know, side A is in conflict with side B and they're both traumatized. There's this tendency to sort of put them on the same level and to see, you know, side A and side B is just two different, stupid, you know, unenlightened, traumatized groups going after each other. But in in the first hour of tonight's show, I had Nick Collarstrom on talking about the fact that 
both Ukraine and Palestine are just wars where there's one side, namely Russia in one of those conflicts and Palestine in the other, that is defending itself against a really evil aggressor. And so how, how do we deal with that and still uh, aspire to cosmic unity? That's a very, very good question. And and you're exactly right that uh, the whole thing is that uh, what is the difference between a just war and just war, right? There's a, there's a <laughs> and so what's very important is that part of the unity is uniting around a sane and sacred center that recognizes that there are no zero-sum solutions. Uh, sometimes you have to go for zero-sum because you've got guns pointed at you and they, are, they, are, they have decided to genocide you. Hmm? So I think that that, that is a, a, different, uh, a different situation. But one, when we unite, uh, not against another side, but against the sociopathogens that have infiltrated and inundated our so-called political systems all around the world, that the only way that we can, the body politic can create an immune system to hold these sociopathogens in balance is to also recognize the toxic perpetrations on our own side. It's very easy to see the shadow of the other side, whatever that side is. And in the divide and conquer world that we live in, in the world of social media, which I call anti-social media, uh, people are encouraged to hate the other side and to fail to recognize what truth may be hidden inside of what they perceive to be lies. And so um, in, in this new process, in this new world, we want to broaden our ability to communicate human to human and then to recognize that it's not the other side that is the problem. It is the sociopathogens that are at work uh, running, uh, that have been uh, essentially writing the rules for us, you know, that uh, trying to tell us that their uh, inhuman nature is our human nature, and that when push comes to shove, we have to be pushing and shoving. <laughs> However, we do have many, many examples of uh, people pulling together in a tug of peace instead of a tug of war. And that's what we want to create more. If we are not going to eliminate war and conflict, we're not going to eliminate evil. We're, we're, we may not even, um, uh, we're, we will do the best to promote justice. But the whole idea behind that is to begin to weave together a web of mass construction so that human beings can begin to interact with one another in a healthier way. And more people begin to broaden their view and focus on the question, how can we build what we want together rather than fighting each other? And that is how I have developed my own two-state solution. And what would the two states? Uh, well, uh, I think that what would happen is we want to leave all of the people that want to kill them, kill each other. We want to leave them there. And everybody that does not want to be killing the other person and wants to work together, we will welcome them into the United States in two very important colonies. We will turn the state of Utah into Utah and the state of Alabama into Alabama. Well, wait a minute. Have you asked the Mormons about this? Oh, the Mormons love the Jews. They want to convert them. So it's perfect. It's just perfect. The more, the more Jews there, the more, oh, no. the more material they have to work with. And so Alabama, Mormon guys allow, how many Jewish wives can each Mormon guy have? 
you, you're going to convert me, you know, <laughs> if you don't watch this. <laughs> well, you know, that's, but, you know, I, Mark Twain said that. You know, you know what Mark Twain said about Mormonism? He says, okay, you want to have 12 wives. You know what that means? 12 mothers-in-law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you, you, you know, even four is, is pretty, here, here in Morocco, we have a mother-in-law complex, uh, for sure, and uh, yeah, four is enough, 12 would be too much, but okay, so Utah, Utah is Utah, and what was the other one? Alabama. Uh, I'm sorry, run that by me again? Alabama. Alabama, okay, guys. Alabama, yes, yes, and there's a new crimson tide happening uh, over there, but, oh but no, but you know, I think that, that, the, the the conflict really ultimately all conflicts are those who want to work things out so that it is a win win and those people who devolve to it's win lose and there's zero there's each side has a very good reason very good justification for the zero sum game however in this world that we are living in now unfortunately our species cannot afford to have that and there has to be a third way and that third way is how do we how do we work together above and beyond these tribal distinctions, heal the past, heal the past traumas. Now, again, we all know that uh, people who are traumatized have a tendency to traumatize other people. So it's not surprising what we are seeing in Israel. Uh, I, you, you've probably seen that, that that video of those girls singing the song about annihilate the other side. And it seemed a lot like the Nazi youth to me. Yeah, so, yeah. between that, that and, you know, the, the, uh, the girls who Hamas, you know, released uh, and all the other people, the old women, and they, they all were like high-fiving and hugging their Hamas captors and stuff. Uh, th- there's a real disconnect, isn't there, uh, between the way Hamas has been portrayed and what we can actually see in, in the videos? They were, high, they were high-fiving them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen those videos, but yeah, they, no. yeah this is this is the beginning of the vision that you're offering here. The Hamas, when Hamas released its hostages, there there are dozens of videos of Hamas releasing hostages, and they're all on really good terms, smiling and hugging, uh, high fiving, uh, you know, thumbs up. Uh, they're they're the best of friends. Now, some people are saying it's Stockholm syndrome, but it seems that you know that there is this hospitality tradition in the culture, and you know. It is what it is. Well, you know, that is what I'm saying, that those people who have, uh, you know, it's it's like um, um, Malcolm X returning from Mecca with with an enlightened view, recognizing that there's a bigger picture, that the battlefield that he thought he was on, there's a different there's a different field. Uh, And that was an enlightening moment that lasted about a moment. It lasted a few months. so, so I think that um, in this great upwising, which is really, I have to tell you, it's a four-step program, which is guaranteed, of course, to work three times faster, is 12, faster than 12-step, wake up, wise up, grow up, and show up. Not the same as Ken Wilber's, kind of similar, but wake up to the illusion of separation, which apparently, if they are high-fiving and hugging, and it's not the Stockholm Syndrome, then those people have awakened to the illusion of separation. Number two, uh, wise up is to wise up the fact that there is common wisdom, uh, an ancient blueprint of wisdom that is indigenous to every civilization that is roughly based on the golden rule. And the reason why the rule of gold has overruled the golden rule is because we have devolved into this tribalism, my tribe, 
versus your tribe. And so the wise up phase is that we're seeking true unity, not the unity that is a, a phony, uh, slathered over beast uh, without justice, where, you know, dead people are peaceful, you know. Uh, it's not that kind of peace, but it's really a, wi a wising up to this wisdom and this connection that we all have with the one spirit, regardless of what we call it. And then the grow up and the show up phase, grow up from children of God to adults of good, begin to practice what we all know is the way to bring heaven on earth, which is to bring a small sliver of heaven to your chunk of earth by being kind to people, by treating them well, by seeking intentional mutual benefits, something that benefits everybody, right? And then show up on this new playing field ready to play a new game. Notice when you're being pulled into these toxic, divisive narratives that have a kernel of truth, but to use a military, military metaphor, kernel of truth that is surrounded by general bullshit and major distortion. Hmm? So we want to get to that kernel of truth, which is we are all one with the same one. We have one creator and we are a body. And if we, uh, what we have right now in the toxic forms of exploitation, extraction, warfare, and, uh, and the kinds of competition that seeks to destroy the other side, that is, uh, that is a autoimmune dysfunction that will, uh, that what is what humanity will die of if it dies. Well, you, you're promoting the, the 12 habits for all of us. And, and, you know, a lot of folks in the enlightenment community have always been against habits. They've said that, you know, that, that the habit is what puts us kind of to sleep and, and lowers our awareness. We just act out of habit and that, you know, the way to see the world with fresh eyes and become enlightened is to break habits. And indeed, in, in Arabic, the in, in Islamic culture, the word for a miracle, not a miracle of a prophet or a saint, but just a kind of a miraculous occurrence that can happen to all of us, or, or even like a psychic or ESP type of event, is a kharik al-ada, which is the rending or shredding of habit or habituality. And, and here you are promoting 12 habits. Uh, so I thought habits were bad. So what, what are these 12 habits? Well, this is very, very important. And what a great distinction that is. Because, again, uh, every, you know, 95% of what we are and what we do is subconscious. The, the conscious mind will say, oh, I just read this excellent book. I want to put that into practice. But then all of the subconscious programming uh, that we've had, thanks to five or 10,000 years of living by the lowest common dominator. And incidentally, that has left a lot of residue, if you know what I'm talking about. Hmm? So if we want to undo the doo-doo that has been done, and so the done doo-doo does not become our undoing, we have to change certain behaviors. We replace old habits with new ones. So what if you have the, uh, what if you, you replace the habit of, um, uh, of not taking care of yourself to the habit of exercising or meditating or eating, uh, eating better food. Those are habits. Habits are simply uh, habitual ways of behaving. Um, it's not, uh, and then eventually those become subconscious. So if we, have, if we are going to be living 95% of our lives through our subconscious mind, 
we would like to, uh, rather than having that programmed externally by the culture of separation, by our uh, tribal distinctions that do not have the well-being of all in mind, then we need to cultivate new habits. So the, these are the, the, I'll tell you what the 12 habits of unity are, okay? Let me, let me get through that uh, right now. The 12 habits of unity, every the idea, Elaine Park, one of the, a, a brilliant genius in my book, um, uh, he um, was working with, um, with uh, a group of people in Pennsylvania, and they said, how do we take the golden rule and really make it something that people actually begin to practice intentionally and proactively. And so these people, uh, ordinary people, uh, crowdsourced 12 practices. That uh, And each of these practices, uh, if you put them in a monthly habit, then when people are practicing them simultaneously and consciously, then they have more power, there's more coherence. So January... Help others. February, you count, meaning everyone is important. March, resolve conflicts. April, take care of our environment. May, be grateful. June, reach higher. July, become involved with your community and people around you. August, know who you are. September, do your best. Uh, October, be patient. I've had, I couldn't wait for that one. And listen. <laughs> November, show a positive attitude, and December, which we're in right now, celebrate community, family, and friends. Now, she actually did this very successfully. Uh, it was a program that, uh, that they ran in the Pittsburgh school system where people intentionally practiced these on a monthly basis for a year. They reduced truancy, grades went up, more kids graduating, less kids going to detention, on and on and on. Uh, he also brought this through the Rotary Club uh, to Rwanda to help heal after their, uh, their civil war and genocide. So it's been practiced and proven out there in the world. And what we want to do is we want to create a way for people to intentionally bring heaven to earth in their little domain. Uh, as my, my co-author in Spontaneous Evolution, Bruce Lipton, says, heaven is not a destination, it's a practice. So, uh, you know, what's, what's happened in our world is that um, most, in most civilizations, uh, particularly Western civilization, and particularly when we've been polarized into this bipolar insanity that we're facing right now, we get to... Uh, we get to uh, stuck in the victim, villain, rescuer paradigm that we are victims, they are villains, and, uh, and then uh, we look to the rescuer, to something that's outside of ourselves, whether it's uh, friendly ETs or a savior coming down from the sky or, God forbid, transhuman technology, uh, and that's going to be our savior. And uh, really, we have met the savior, and he or she, or it, or whatever, is us. We are the ones who can bring heaven to earth or go to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> well, that, that sounds good. That sounds better than the Zionist 
version of We Are Our Own Messiah, which, of course, is uh, rather than sitting around waiting for the Messiah to kind of pick us up and carry us to Jerusalem, you know, next year in Jerusalem, Mosul and all of that, and uh, Lion Lies Down with the Lamb, that, that's the old-fashioned version, but the Zionist version became We're Going to Be Our Own Messiah by going and conquering all the tribes and setting up a, a dictatorship uh, there, uh, committing genocide, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, let's, uh, that's like the... the you yeah, cannot yeah. discount you cannot discount the influence of Christian Zionism, which is what actually spurred um, uh, gave the gave the clue to uh, Theodor Herzl and to the Baron Rothschild. Uh, this has been uh, this millennialist Christian view that uh, in order for the Messiah to come, uh, you know, this is actually uh, when you when you read deeply about it, you see that um, that it was Christian Zionism. That really sparked the entire the entire movement um, to, to move on. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have, they have the same idea that you know we can course. force force yeah. God's hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of the of the little boy I met years ago uh, at a picnic. He's about five years old, and he had a dog, and he has the dog's tail in his hand. He's waving it back and forth, and I'm going, "What are you doing?" He says, "I want the dog to be happy." <laughs> so here we are wagging we are wagging the dog okay all we need to do is kill all those Palestinian people you know establish the second temple and then Jesus is coming and my my thing is going Jesus is coming and the place is a mess yeah Jesus is coming boy is he pissed <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's like it's like first of all hey if the, if the King of Kings and the Messiah is coming, we should at least clean up the place. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of how they were here in Morocco. When the king is coming to the town, they suddenly, that's that's the time they go out and sweep the streets finally. But uh, so, so Swami, um, it's, uh, it, you're talking about wagging the dog, and there are a lot of folks worried that Biden is might try to wag the dog. He's, he's, you know, he's unprecedentedly unpopular for a sitting president at this point, and everybody's freaking out because, of course, Trump is the obvious alternative <laughs> And uh, so is Biden going to like wag the dog by, you know, starting some even bigger war like, you know, over in China or something? Or, you know, where, or are we going to get this upwising going in time so that there won't be another mega crisis? You've know, gone from COVID to Ukraine to Palestine and you know, only uh, Allah knows what's next. So, um, geez, you know, is, is he going to wag the dog or how do we stop him from wagging that dog? Well, you know, I don't make predictions because I don't want to lose my nonprofit status. So I kind of make a prediction. You know, and in fact, you know, they try to predict the weather and one little butterfly fart and everything changes. So, but I will say this, I will say that uh, these are, uh, it's a cliche, but these are apocalyptic types. And the meaning of the word apocalypse is the lifting of the veils. And so the veils are being lifted on all of these toxic systems. Um, and a lot of people, they don't want to see the emperor naked. They don't want to see it. And that's why there's been so much denial around the COVID narrative that we've been imposed with. Um, you know, we didn't achieve herd immunity, but we did get the herd mentality, right? That's for so, sure. That's for sure, yes. And so more and more people are, are waking up in spite of the fact that it is not being acknowledged by the, by the mainstream press, uh, you know, from, uh, from CNN to NPR, all of them are bought into this one narrative. So what's happening is that because as more people, this is the upwising, as more people wake up to see that they've been hoodwinked by a bunch of winking hoods, 
then they are gathering around other alternatives. And that's why uh, RFK Jr.'s campaign is surprising people uh, because people are looking at, uh, at an alternative, at least somebody who is willing to call out the, uh, the, the corporate, uh, corporate capture. Now, I know you probably don't agree with him, on his position on Israel. Well, well it's, it's, so, it's so weird, Swami. I mean, he, yeah, everything RFK Jr. says on every other topic is uncommonly thoughtful or accurate, basically. Now, Palestine, uh, not exactly. Well, you know, I think that there's a lot of, seriously, there's a lot of emotion involved. And, you know, if you look at um, Northern Ireland, uh, how many years it took to for people to go, um, uh, we're not. We're done with the retribution. Where my my father, my uncle, my brother was killed by the other side. Now we have to have vengeance. We have to retrib- have retribution. So as long as people are in that cycle of vengeance and retribution, then uh, you know. As I've said many times, when you find yourself on a vicious cycle, stop pedaling and get off. Right. So I think that's oh, more people. Yeah, so it's one thing to get off the cycle, but it's another thing for, you know, our, like if RK Jr. had said that, uh, well, the whole, you know, the, the problem in Ireland is that the Irish people have been, you know, not, you know, they, they haven't allowed the British to do anything they wanted in Ireland over all this time. If the Irish people would just go along with the, with those nice, yeah. reasonable British, you know, yeah. that kind of oversimplification would, would be comparable yeah. to what he says about Palestine. Yeah, but you see, each of the groups, uh, you know, I mean, the, the again, uh, both the both the uh, Protestant Irish and the Catholic Irish were captured by this. Uh, they both were run by Britain, right? And then one of them, I, one of them identified as Protestant and said, "Well, okay, I'm. It's more comfortable in this regard to be on that side." And then the other ones went, "Wait a minute! Uh, our entire tradition and civilization has been destroyed by these people. We have to take a stand for it." What happens is that then. Every generation gets to reproduce the conflicts of the prior generation. They get to relive them. Instead of healing the past, instead of uh, truth and reconciliation, which seems to be a pathway that works. Okay, well, that's actually probably a pretty good place to leave it, uh, Swami, because um, I, I think that that's ultimately, you know, there's really nothing more that we can add to that, uh, that we need truth and reconciliation uh, on a massive scale and nowhere is more than in Palestine. Well, I understand that your your Jewish manager, Steve Behrman, is hanging around <laughs> somewhere. Uh, so, so, you know, he, he's the man who made you what you are today, Swami. Uh, and so I think you really should let him uh, come on and give us uh, his side of the story. OK, well, look, he's been channeling me for the first half hour. Now I'm going to channel him. Okay, sounds good. Here's the Swami channeling Steve. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Good, good. You know, I'm never in the same room with that guy. Um, and <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I don't blame you either. Yeah, so here I am. And, and you know, it's. Uh, I wrote a piece many years ago uh, trying to come up with something that made sense around uh, this, this issue. And I called it the jury, J-E-W-R-Y, is still out. Yeah, I remember so, that. And the way that I know that it was a very, very successful piece that hit the mark is um, half of the angry letters called me a, uh, a self-hating Jew, and the other half called me a Zionist apologist. 
So that's well, how I know well, that, that it If was. you just had Swami write the article, they couldn't have called you a self-hating Jew. It would have been a, a <laughs> Jew-hating Hindu. <laughs> exactly. A Hindu. A Hindu. <laughs> but, but what, what it means, you know, there's so many things that are unraveled in it. And, and one of the things that, that I've, you know, again, I, I'm, I've really, uh, you know, when I was a kid, of course, uh, you know, of the whole idea of Israel a place for for our people, um, the uh, you know the, the Exodus and all of that. It was something that I, I aspired to. Uh, as I began to, uh, the first thing that happened uh, as a as a kid, I'm I'm getting my bar mitzvah lessons and I'm living in a in the housing project. So most of my friends are black. We got a few Jewish kids and Italian kid and a you know white Protestant kid in our little gang. And I hear in my Hebrew school class. We should only associate with our own people. And I just raised my hand and I said, that's not what I learned in my family. And what happened was I could see the other kids kind of waking up and I wouldn't say turning on the teacher, but it kind of busted the trance. And so at that point, uh, I just said, you know what? I'm not really interested in this anymore. I'm, 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 I'm elevating myself out of this. Um, out of this religion that um, essentially, um, you know, is just another tribal thing. At, at the age of twelve, that was the best. It's I, not just I another tribal thing, Steve. It's 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 the tribal. It's it's the the you know the longest running and most successful right. tribal project on earth. Right. And uh, my my friend who we, who we had a conversation with the other day he said the the day after my bar mitzvah, I was presented with a you know the history of the Jewish people. And this has been an ongoing, um, you know, it's us against the world. And so why would it be any different for that, for a recreation of we are surrounded by enemies? So if you want to look at it from the meta view, from the higher view, from the bigger picture, uh, you can see that, wow, um, this is what they call in homeopathics a miasm. It's a persistent energy field that keeps recreating the same situation over and over and over again. Like, like the people we know who've been in relationships and they go, why do I always pick somebody who's abusive? Why do I always pick somebody who's going to leave me? Why do I, you know, how, why am I so blind to that? And you can, you know, and somebody from the outside could go, oh, I can see the, I can see what you're broadcasting. I can see what you're broadcasting. So coming from this tradition, um, my, my grandparents uh, all came from you know, Russia or Romania or, or that um, Eastern European uh, shtetl. And uh, particularly on my mom's side, my dad's side, they, they were from St. Petersburg and there were no Jews in St. Petersburg, but somehow these people were from St. Petersburg. So they were way more urbane and sophisticated and um, um, yeah, had a broader perspective. But for those who really came from generations of being brutalized and uh, by pogroms and waiting for the, it's kind of like in in utero, uh, in the DNA, you get you're waiting for the next shoe to drop. Uh, and my joke, it's not that funny because it's actually kind of tragic, is that um, part of the Jewish miasm is um, worrying. And somehow there is a belief 
that if I worry enough, a bad thing's not going to happen. Worrying keeps bad things away. It's kind of like you pre-suffer. I'm pre-suffering, so why would a bad thing doesn't have to happen? Now, it's a superstition. In fact, it may be a, a super-duper superstition. But, but the point is that... As the Swami um, would say. As the Swami would say. Um, uh, I saw an article, you know Tom Hartman, the... Um, yeah, yeah. I actually met him. Somebody donated money so I could go uh, spend like an hour face to face with him once. They were hoping I could convert Tom Hartman into uh, a 9-11 uh, truther. But unfortunately, it didn't work. Well, Tom has been a really good friend of mine for, for many years. Uh, so I, I know him does, very does well. Does he get 9-11 privately? I, he, ne- he never let his, you know. I he, think he does. I, 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 I kind of thought so. Yeah. He does. Yeah, he and I have had conversations about certain things that he wouldn't talk about on the radio. I'm very disappointed with him right now, and he doesn't like me uh, because I'm. Somebody called into his show, say, "Hey, when are you gonna have Swami Beyond the Mother on again?" He goes, "Oh no, he and Trudy have turned into these anti-vaxxers and blah 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 blah." Oh, and uh, you know, so um, I have a conversation with him coming up that's uh, that's um, that will be you know kind of a face you know. Friendship conversation. But nonetheless, um, I did have him on my my um, front and center podcast that I do with Michael McSenty a year and a half ago because I saw an article that he wrote um, uh, in, in the late 1990s called The Lost People. And the lost people are the indigenous white people of Europe who got overrun by the same um, Wetiko forces that uh, conquered the new world um, and that those that culture is lost. And we had a very interesting conversation. He was the one that brought up uh, Wetiko, uh, if you're familiar with that Native American term. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I've had people on the show who kind of specialize in that. Yeah, uh, hopefully not in purpose rating. But <laughs> no, yeah. no, in, in analyzing <laughs> it and trying to <laughs> know, just, off. Hey, I'm, I'm teaching Wetiko <laughs> here. I'm bringing it to you. Uh, but anyway, so so the idea is that he, it was a very brilliant article that he wrote. So he's he's got a lot of depth, uh, and um, and that article was essentially talking about the wounds that all of us have. Uh, it's very difficult to find in our DNA, uh, unless we're strictly ET or whatever, uh, in our DNA, um, uh, a, a non-wounded place, and so these wounds get. Uh, perpetuated and perpetrated on other people. So when when you look at the at the big picture, and you look at those little girls singing about annihilation, and you you want to you want to put the Nazi youth side by side, you recognize that people who have been uh, abused without a certain level of consciousness, and even with that tend to become abusers. Uh, and so we're looking at a time when it's not just the Middle East, it's the Middle West. It's everywhere, everywhere on the planet. You know, Armenia, right? The Armenians, all of these places where, uh, where genocide has been perpetrated. And now warfare itself is genocide because it's only about killing civilians. That's in this asymmetrical warfare, you know, it's about killing civilians. And so it is a trance that will either kill us or we will be able to lift the veils, look at uh, and, meta- 
and uh, cultivate and coalesce and cohere enough love to metabolize these toxins that have um, brought us to where we are now. So do you think that the younger generation is up to it? You know, I was really hardened to see these recent polls showing how uh, aware younger people are about uh, this Palestine situation that we're in, where, you know, I, I, as far as those girls singing about going and, you know, and exterminating Amalek and all that sort of thing, uh, I don't think those girls themselves were traumatized in, you know, by, uh, you know, by anti-Semitic, you know, goys or anything. I think that what's going on is there's a machine for re-traumatizing Jews. And I, actually, I translated a book by Laurent Guyano called From Yahweh to Zion, which traces uh, the, the history of um, Jewish uh, tribal dynamics uh, over 3,000 years and suggests that that basically that there's been this um, domination by and this is probably the same thing that happens in other tribes too, of course, but this one's really been going for a long time and doing, you know, and thriving. And this cognitive elite has traumatized its own people into hating and fearing the outsider. And that has then created a really strong tribal bond. Uh, and and uh, that, that in-group uh, feeling has allowed the Jewish people to survive over all this time, feeling beset upon by outsiders. But who's really doing the traumatizing? As it turns out, yeah, sure, sometimes they annoy the outgroups enough into doing atrocities against them. But basically, that trauma machine is being run by the uh, power holders within the Jewish tribe who are traumatizing their own people. And so just like these girls singing about the exterminating Amalek, you know, they, I don't know if you saw the film Defamation, where they take the Israeli kids to Auschwitz and they tell them that that nice old Polish guy on the park bench wants to exterminate you, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that there, there's actually a Jewish trauma machine going on. And indeed, the circumcision ritual of infant uh, boys seems to be obviously a, a really a kind of a practice of, of ritual torture that, that traumatize, leaves a very deep, buried memory. And then the hatred of the outsider that did that gets turned inside out against the goy and creates uh, you know anti-goyism which is the real reality anti-semitism is the myth as ron uns recently wrote so anyway that that's my take on it and that means that i think that the the jewish people have a special responsibility to undo their tribal programming and i'm happy to see that the polls show that young people are waking up to this especially jewish young people who are actually in the lead in the uh, activism to get the truth out about what's really happening in palestine um, would you agree with that or think that some well, maybe I, I, I think that what's happening, as I said, this is the lifting of the veils. And so this particular war is um, lifting the veils on Israel like nothing else ever has. Nothing else has ever has ever done that. Nothing else has ever lifted the veils on uh, on on Israel. So there's more truth being revealed. Um, I'm using the metaphor 1965. 1965 was the year that I was the first kid on my block. I was the first kid on my block to um, to essentially be against the, the Vietnam War. And so um, my, my good friend, my fraternity brother, was... Um, uh, he was one of those uh, gung-ho paratrooper and all of that. Two years later, 1967, 
he's marching with me on uh, against the war. What happened? And what happened was teach-ins. The teach-ins on the campuses in those days were about um, offering information that was not available through the mainstream media propaganda machine. Now, it's not happening the same way. Those forces have become way more sophisticated about what they release and what they don't release. But people are finding out on their own. And the new teach-ins are happening. Uh, they're not happening on mainstream media, not even Fox News. They're happening outside that domain. And people are waking up to, uh, to all of that. And uh, this is part of the upwising. Uh, in the old days, when people were angry, there'd be a revolutionary uprising to overthrow the system. Now it's an evolutionary upwising to overgrow the system. In other words, getting beyond these tribal things requires uh, a spiritual understanding because it's so easy to be manipulated by fear and anger, fear of the other, anger toward the other. And the real, uh, the real two sides in this issue are those who are willing to create uh, awareness enough to have truth and reconciliation, and those who want to devolve back into the, uh, uh, I'm going to kill those people. Yeah, and so that's, that, that's, that's actually the good. Line. That, that's that's great for you know for, that makes my show and its audience, you know, it, it casts a good light on it because you know we're, we're people who are seeing these horrific injustices all over the place, and we're frustrated because we can't do anything about it. And then sometimes we imagine, well, what would you know, what would it take to do something about it? Well, I would have to go and you know and fight. I would have to go and you know take take a military action, blah 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 blah. But I'm not doing that. And you know, some of us like maybe feel like, oh man, we're you know we know all this stuff, and there's this all this horrible injustice happening, and we're not lifting our hand to stop it. But you're, what you're suggesting is that maybe in some ways it's better not to be right. In, in, in Islamic uh, hadith, it said that that if you see something wrong, you should stop it with your hand. If you can't do that, you should try to stop it with your tongue by speaking. And if you can't do that, you have to at least hate that injustice in your heart. And that's the least of faith. But maybe we're living at a time now where uh, the heart and and the tongue are more useful than raising a hand in anger. Well, yeah, I mean, at this point, um, it's revealing itself. Part of the apocalypse, part of the veils being lifted, is that these things are revealing themselves. Um, you know, it, it, the, uh, we're watching the media continue to um, hold the, the official narrative about COVID, the official narrative about the Ukraine, the official narrative about Israel, and people's experiences are contradicting that. And you get to uh, a point where a critical mass of the heretofore uncritical mass has awakened, and uh, all of a sudden you've got kind of a chaos. It's kind of a chaos right now because um, there are no, um, there's no universal sense of um, of goodness. Even though there is a universal sense of goodness, uh, it's been deplatformed by secular materialism. So, in a certain regard. When we uh, decided that religion was "quote unquote" bad, we threw the baby Jesus out with the bathwater. Uh, well, that's an interesting but, thought for a couple of days before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the point is that um, if you look at mainstream media, um, 
there is this smugness about everybody knows that religion is just superstition, right? Um, and so it makes fun of New Age. It makes fun of Christianity, uh, particularly those who are devo- you know, uh, devout Christians. And somehow these people are inferior because they don't have all of the wisdom that we do to know that man created God. And uh, that's why the, mo- the biggest danger, um, you know, we're looking at dueling dystopias as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I think there's a Donald Trumpist dictate, uh, dictatorship and dystopia that progressives are all too well aware of, but they're not aware of the, of the, uh, the globalist um, dictatorship, dystopia, totalitarian Orwellian uh, idea of you'll be, you will own nothing and be happy uh, or you'll be dead. <laughs> That's yeah. how well, 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 What do you make of the fact that Trump and these other right wing populist types who tend to be very nationalist and tribalist are actually, for the most part, more pro-peace, more anti-war than all of the supposedly more left liberal globalist types. I, I'm still confused about that. Well, I think it happened during the Bush administration. During the last four years of the Bush administration, um, the uh, rank-and-file uh, conservative voters, and that, was the, that was the birth of the, um, the Tea Party movement, and that was a, an insurgent movement that was a populist movement of ordinary people in a political party that had been dominated by um, uh, corporate elites. Uh, and we saw that as John McCain had to have Sarah Palin as his uh, running mate. So by the time 2008 came along, uh, there were many, many on the right who had supported uh, the Iraq war because, you know, that was their, you know, their, their tribal way. And of course, we should support, uh, you know, our, our, our troops and so on. And then over that last four years, they became disillusioned with the neocon con. Well, Obama, as, as we used to say, uh, <laughs> a sheep with some wolf with his clothing, um, so to speak, um, kind of giving the idea that it was something different than, than the neocons. And, you know, the Clinton administration, uh, Hillary running basically as a neocon. So the, um, the Trump uprising, which was not necessarily an uprising, it was an uprising, was to uh, uh, recognize that that uh, globalist status quo was not acceptable. And because of the culture wars and because of, the, um, of Donald Trump being a, uh, a figure, of, uh, a hated figure, and for many reasons uh, well-deserved, uh, and become a hero because he's the screw you guy to the system. So progressives have failed to understand why people voted for Trump, and they prefer to look at it as racism and hatred and all of that. And of course, those, those, that crowd di- definitely came out of the woodwork. But uh, it's very convenient. It's why uh, people who've uh, spoken out about the, uh, the COVID shots, that's been called hate speech, right? <laughs> yeah, tell me so, about it. I, I, got, I got, yeah. finally got banned on YouTube after you know years of suppression. They finally you know nuked my account, and their excuse, one of the two excuses was COVID. The other excuse was that I'd had some supposed election denier on my show. So. Yeah, exactly. So basically, what's happened is that there is no there is no common sense of truth 
because we've been lied to so long. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, of course, one of the pivotal events in my life was the uh, JFK assassination. And um, very early on, I realized that the official story was bogus. Yeah, yeah, me too. That 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 kind of sets the you know turns your life in a different direction, doesn't it? Yeah, because all of a sudden you're you're um, expected to believe lies. Um, you know, this is like the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Uh, this is like Nazi Germany. Uh, William Shirer, who wrote um, the um, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, he also wrote the Berlin Diaries. He was there prior to the war, and on the eve of World War II, he said. Um, all of the headlines in every newspaper in Germany, in Berlin, where he was, was uh, Poland set to invade Germany. So they were fed that lie as truth. And so when, you're, when you have to reconcile that, uh, it, it creates such a sense of um, disorientation and dysfunction. So we in this country have been... Um, disoriented from the truth and spinning more and more and more out of control from that since the Kennedy assassination. And every time there's a perpetration, whether it's the, uh, you know, my joke that's not funny is that um, the reason why we're, why, what destroyed the, uh, the peace movement of the 60s and early 70s was the KKK, KKK, kill Kennedy, King Kennedy, and the Kent kids. And, you know, that's what we got. And that's why we had disco. And that's why we had the new generation. <laughs> that's why we had leisure suits. Uh, it's all because of that. And, uh, and so we've got these two political, and that's why we have this uh, toxic form of wokeism and uh, um, um, insanity around gender insanity that um, I, I traveled around the country uh, for a month, uh, September, October, and all of the older progressive people I talked to, and I asked them, what do you think about this woke stuff? Black people as well as white, by the way. Oh, I think it's bullshit. Total bullshit. Uh, what about this, this um, you know, idea that you can't use the word woman? Pregnant person. Mm -hmm. I, I actually saw an article that talked about pregnant person. But I'm thinking, what would they do to Arisa these days? You make me feel like a natural person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, son, oh, person. yeah, I mean, what is it? And so, um, that's one of the reasons I moved to Morocco, by the way, is, is America's too weird for me now. It is, it is, it's crazy. And so, people, there's that famous quote attributed to Voltaire those who, who can be made to believe absurdities can be made to commit atrocities. And so, that's where we're at. Um, and so, part of the upwising is cultivating a sane and sacred center. And this jokey idea of one, one, one this day is not trying to make everybody uniform. Each of us is totally unique, just like everybody else. And this idea of self-sovereignty and community well-being are not mutually exclusive. They're two sides of the same healthy coin as opposed to the, uh, the two sides of the repressive coin, which is, um, you know, impose these values from the top down, which is totalitarianism, and uh, individuals will be happy or else. <laughs> be happy or else. Uh, you, you will you'll have n nothing and you'll be happy. 
that's uh, that's pretty much the utopia that they've been promising us uh, since COVID. Well, well, thank you, Steve Behrman. It's great to check back in with you and get a taste of uh, of the Swami. I, I can see why you can't be in the same room with him for too long. Uh, the puns can be pretty dangerous in, in excess. Uh, it, but I, I imagine one gains a tolerance after a while. Anyway, I, I love having uh, you guys on uh, <laughs> periodically. And, and send your folks to 111 this day. To 11 this day. Okay, I will put up the link at the radio It'll be a lot of fun. It's free to everybody. And we are going to launch an uprising where we all breathe together a conspiracy, an open conspiracy of love. And at the end of this program, we're all going to bring a collective sigh of relief. That's <laughs> the beginning to wake up. Okay, I'm, I'm breathing a one, 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 this uh, sigh of relief right now in, a, in co-conspiring with you, Steve, to spread Thanks, uh, oneness. All right, thank you. Take care. God bless. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Namaste. 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 Thanks. Okay. That's uh, Steve Behrman, a man- Jewish manager of Swami Biyadanada. I'm Kevin Barrett, the Muslim from Morocco, back next week. Same time, same channel. See you then.